0: The employer that you want is someone that wants you to grow because they know that if done right, it is in both of your self-interest to do it.
1: Plug into the minds of the world's cutting-edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders, rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. Welcome back to Superhumans At Work. I'm your host, Jason Campbell, and I'm bringing to you Dory Clark, who's a Harvard Business Review author, has written multiple books. And what we really want to focus on today is really this idea of how do you nurture your own expertise, even outside of the organization. A lot of the ideas that you're going to have here are really going to blow your mind as the fact that you can do so much more than just your regular nine to five. That can push not only your income, but can also push your skill set, your influence, and really become a thought leader within whatever work that you do. And when you go through this episode, you'll learn some very concrete ways that you can apply your additional drive for excellence and really refine that skill set so you get super focused on what you do best and deliver that value within your organization or however else you want to deliver it. You'll be able to discover that yourself. But you'll see that you will be able to serve better as you become better my name is jason campbell and this is superhumans at work a mind valley podcast all right everybody we have dory clark on the call here and dory thank you so much for being here hey jason
0: i'm really glad to talk with you thanks
1: Listen, I wanted to kick this right off because you've written three incredible books. You have Entrepreneurial You, Reinventing You, and Stand Out. And I want to know if there was a theme that kind of groups your literature together.
0: Well, ultimately, the arc that connects the three books is that they were both about the process that I went through in my business and about the questions that I most wanted to answer. I think a lot of times when we're creating work It's because we want to help other people, but also because we want to solve a problem for ourselves. And so for me in my career, I began in my 20s having a lot of different careers. I worked in journalism. I worked in politics. I ran a nonprofit. So I did a lot of reinvention. And understanding and making sense of that process really led to my first book, Reinventing You, Then once I settled on a career in business, the next question is, how do you get known? How do you get your ideas heard in the marketplace? I think anyone who works for themselves or wants to build a professional career wants to answer that question. Why are some people's ideas recognized and other people's aren't? So that was why I wrote Stand Out, was to investigate that phenomenon And then finally, once you achieve a certain level of renown in your field, that's a fantastic thing, but it doesn't pay the bills. And so I wanted to really wrap my arms around the question, how do you monetize successfully? How do you take professional recognition or respect and actually turn that into revenue streams? And that led to Entrepreneurial You.
1: I love it. And one thing I find fascinating about your ideas is for anybody who's in the workspace professionally, more particularly here, you talk about how there's actually an agenda for you to look for multiple streams of income based on the expertise you're developing within the workplace. Is that correct? Absolutely. I think So often when it comes to investing, everybody knows, it's been drilled
0: into our head, don't put all your eggs in one basket, have an index fund, have a mutual fund, you know, you need to diversify your investing. And yet, ironically, when it comes to what is even more important, which is where does that income come from in the first place, most of us are not well diversified at all. If you have one day job and that's it, it's great while it lasts. But if God forbid something happens to your company, your industry, you get laid off, there's a change then all of a sudden you go from one income stream to zero income streams and that's pretty precarious so if you can be thoughtful which is really the point of entrepreneurial you about cultivating multiple income streams before you need them then we're all in a much safer position and we have more of an opportunity to capture the upside
1: i think a lot of people might not have even considered this a possibility you get an employment and then you feel like that employer is supposed to take care of all your need have you encountered people that hesitate with feeling like a sense of disloyalty? Because I know for me, like I'm so loyal to my primary employer that I almost was a part of me that was like, I don't know if I should work on multiple streams of income. Is that me cheating on my boss? You know what I mean? Is that something you encounter?
0: Certainly, if people are developing a line of business that is similar to what they're doing at work, then there are legitimate concerns. You want to make sure that things are kosher with your employer, that they understand that you're not trying to steal clients or do anything like that. I think it becomes a little bit easier if you are, let's say, a research scientist and you have a hobby doing photography, it's pretty clear that, okay, these photographs that you're selling on Etsy or whatever, this is not you being disloyal or siphoning IP from your employer. So you always want to make sure that you're buttoned up in terms of the appropriateness of what you're doing and what your contract specifies. But ultimately, what I learned in the course of my research is that you are making yourself more valuable to your employer through the things that you're doing. Even if your day job is not related to sales or marketing or whatever, the fact that by creating a new income stream, you have to learn about those things, is teaching you really valuable lessons that give you a kind of holistic perspective about the company and makes you smarter at everything that you do. All of a sudden, these things that you might have understood theoretically become very, very real. And you're probably picking up a lot of skills along the way. Maybe it's how to leverage social media more, how to be a sharper content writer. And you can bring that back to your day job and be better at what you do.
1: That's really powerful. And I would think it needs a certain type of understanding or a level of consciousness from the employer. In my case, I'm someone who gets encouraged to develop his own stream of income because for me, it's a lot of sales automation process that I do on the side. And I know within Mind Valley, it is encouraged. And I actually witness exactly what you're saying, which is the things I've been learning by consulting clients. I come into Mind Valley and I bring these new ideas in, which actually makes me be more productive in the workplace. Should managers be actively encouraging employees to develop streams of income? And how do they typically approach that?
0: You're absolutely right that it is an important thing for the employer to be thinking about not every employer, it is true, is going to have an enlightened view about this. There's plenty of people, we probably have run across them, who have a scarcity mentality and a scarcity mindset. And that's not just about work, that's about everything in life, where they think, oh, well, the more time you spend on this, the less time for me! And they start freaking out. I mean, there's plenty of boyfriends and girlfriends in the world that are like that too. They're the ones that don't want you to have friends outside the relationship. And we know that's problematic as well. So unfortunately, if you find yourself in that situation, long term, it's probably not a great situation to be in, in general, you may want to start thinking, is there a way to transfer? Is there a way to spend more time with other potential bosses in the company, you know, maybe begin to move on? Because the scarcity mindset people are also, frankly, the ones that are not going to want to promote you, because they're the ones that are like, Oh, well, Jason's great, but he's too valuable to me. And ultimately, your career prospects are limited with that kind of an employer Anyway, the employer that you want is someone that wants you to grow because they know that if done right, it is in both of your self-interest to do it. I wouldn't necessarily go so far as to say that employers should be proactively encouraging employees to create side income streams. You know, it's a fine thing to do, but the truth is entrepreneurship or starting a side gig is something that does take a lot of self-motivation. And so if it feels to an employee like, oh God, it's just another thing I have to do. It's another requirement of the job. It becomes onerous. I think what is more crucial is that for people who do have that inclination, that needs to be encouraged and nurtured because those are the kind of go-getters that frankly are the most valuable inside a company anyway.
1: I love that answer. And I want to kind of take this into a part where you speak a lot about reinvention. And in that topic, when someone goes out to determine that they want to generate a new stream of income, is a reinvention or an acknowledgement of a new skill set that you might not have been aware of before necessary? Like, how does one go through that process to start going, okay, where should I go if I'm going to start a new stream?
0: (laughs) Yeah. So reinvention is a really interesting aspect of all of this. And as you were indicating, it's actually the subject of my first book, Reinventing You. To a certain extent, you do have to reconceptualize yourself. When you're creating a side income stream, usually the best ones are not some crazy far-flung thing. If you were suddenly to say, oh, I'm going to start a hang gliding instruction business and you've never been a hang glider before, that's a lot to learn and probably too much to learn. But If meanwhile, you've been a champion hang glider and you've loved to do it for the past 20 years, it's actually not that far afield to think, well, how could I start teaching other people? There's things you need to do, obviously. I'm sure there's permits and different aspects that you need to learn about the business, but it's not so wild and crazy. It's not like you're necessarily gonna have to learn everything. But for many people, what you run up against is that there's psychological blocks, which oftentimes come from what your parents tell you, frankly. I mean, I grew up in a family where my parents were always really disdainful of sales. You know, my dad was a doctor and it was like, well, you know, if you have to advertise, then obviously you're not very good. You know, sort of this trashy thing. Of course, it's like the world's most counterproductive viewpoint. Sales is not something trashy sales is literally what makes the world go round you cannot have a business if you do not have sales and so understanding what other people's scripts are and how they're sort of dysfunctional sometimes how they hold you back is often a first step because in having your own business or your own side gig you have to realize if you don't have sales you don't have anything and so if you have a block about that or about any other thing, oh, I can't do public speaking or, oh, I can't write or whatever the I can't is, we need to break through that first. So the reinvention in many ways is about how do you think of yourself as a person?
1: That to me, first off, you're preaching to the choir. I'm all about sales. For those of you who know me, I talk about how I selling is actually a greatest expression of love you can make. So I definitely align with you a 100% on that. Now, we talk about needing to go into these I can'ts, like, what kind of mindset do you need to take on? Or what are strategies that people can take to stop being hesitating or feeling that roadblock when it comes to taking your skills and let's say bringing it to a stage or doing the sales if you're doing your own business? What could we do about it?
0: One of the best things that we can do, Jason, is to prove to ourselves that we can do it. And what I mean by that is that Anybody who's a reasonably smart adult can say, well, gosh, I really shouldn't be afraid of public speaking. I mean, it's not that bad. You can tell yourself that all day and then you get up there and your body freaks out and goes into a panic. Or you can tell yourself anything intellectually and your body is going to short circuit it. What you need to do that actually lasts and that is more effective is to do it. And instead of thinking your way into doing, you need to do your way into thinking. Ultimately, it is about taking small risks, small bets, and showing yourself that you can. And then you're able to actually look upon the evidence and say, oh, wow, actually, I guess I was able to do that. Hmm. Well, maybe I'm capable of more than I thought. And so really for anything that you're a little nervous about, it's about saying, what is the smallest step that I can take so that if I fail, it's not the end of the world. It's okay. It's reasonably low stakes. And yet if I succeed, it is evidence that I am moving in the right direction. You don't start out speaking to 500 people on a stage. You start out doing a three minute presentation at your company meeting with seven people in the room and you go from there.
1: I love it. And for the public speaking one, it speaks close to my heart because I am one that was so afraid of public speaking. And it seems like everyone who becomes a good public speaker has a story of how they used to not be a good public speaker. But it's almost like you have to go through that. Everyone who goes to public speaking, it's like you've overcome that challenge. It just came from repetition. And I got lucky because I got forced to do a lot of public speaking going through business school. But I know there's a tons of institutions, even like Toastmasters, people can just go and just practice. And it's a low stake, low risk. And I love that strategy.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you humiliate yourself in front of a bunch of strangers at Toastmasters, I mean, seriously, who cares?
1: Yeah. So we talked about sales, public speaking, like, are those the biggest things that you see are necessary? Because you also talk a lot about you need to build your reputation and your brand in the process of putting yourself out there and being one of the key things to drive a new stream of income. Can you tell us more about that?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So one of the pieces when it comes to developing a side income stream or reinventing yourself, that's really important is developing enough credibility so that people take you seriously. There's a lot of noise, there's a lot of clutter. And so very quickly, you have to help people answer the question, why should I pay attention to this person? And Credibility matters a lot because it's essentially you telegraphing at a glance. No, no, this is important. You need to listen. So how do we do that? I talk a lot about a term that's used in psychology called social proof. And essentially it's just what are the markers of credibility that are salient for you? I work with a lot of folks in the business world. And so in that case, it could be something like what publications do you write for that people have heard of or Are you an officer of a professional association in your field? Or have you worked with kind of marquee clients that people are familiar with? Because, you know, if I say, oh, well, Jason's a consultant. Great. Well, like Jason and everybody else, right? But if we say, well, Jason is a consultant for companies like Apple, Google, and Nike, and he's been written about in the Harvard Business Review... All of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, okay, he's been externally validated, and it makes it easier for me coming in to say, oh, if other people think he's good, maybe I should give him a chance too. And so one of the things that we need to do in our reinvention is to be conscious of that. I mean, it might feel annoying or silly, like, oh, why do I have to prove myself? But the truth is you just do because there is so much noise. And if we can think consciously about what can I do to try to accrue more social proof and band those things, it just makes it a lot easier. Everything else downstream is much easier because people are listening in the first place.
1: I love it. There's a quote that I want to bring in that will lead into a story from you that I think is fascinating. I just had a chance to speak in front of a huge audience, a conference for 9,000 people in Monterey and just came back from that. And the reason that I got that opportunity was actually because someone that I knew was actually a co-founder of that conference and invited me to come and take a stage presence there. And so even the power of networking and being able to get those referrals are powerful. And the quote that I want to bring up is luck favors the well-prepared And I know that you write for the Harvard Business Review, and you had this quote-unquote lucky event happen, but you were so prepared to take advantage of that. And I'd love for you to tell that story.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And speaking of luck favoring the prepared, congratulations for you, both in cultivating your friendship with a conference organizer, but also taking care of your fear of public speaking just in time to uh, speak to 9,000 people. That's pretty phenomenal. But for me, the way that I started to write for the Harvard Business Review, you're exactly right. In 2009, I really got it into my head that I wanted to write a book, that was my big goal. And so I wrote actually a couple of different book proposals, both of which were turned down because I did not have enough platform. I was not famous enough. And so what I kept hearing is like, well, you should write for some places, you know? And so I'm like, ugh, you know, I just wanted to get to the book, but I thought, all right, I've got to start writing for some places. So I started pitching all these business publications, trying to break in. I came up with a million story ideas and I was just hitting a wall. Like nobody was interested But I had refined the pitches and the story ideas pretty significantly. I was living in Boston at the time, and I ended up selling my bicycle on Craigslist. And it turned out that the woman who bought it worked for the Harvard Business Review. And HBR was not one of the publications on my radar. I had not been pitching them at all. But as soon as I heard she worked there, I thought, oh, man, this could be good. So I said, hey, you guys have a blog, right? How do people get to blog for you? And she was not the right person for that, but she agreed to introduce me. And because I had all of these meticulously created pitches to send off, basically the next day I was able to send them to the editor. He liked them and we got it going. And I've been writing for them now for nine years.
1: Amazing. I love that story so much. And I hope that people really got the importance here is that anybody else who hadn't put in the work to go out to the publication, to have an understanding of what was your intention. The ultimate goal was to write the book and you knew that you were doing the work to know that this was a key stepping stone. I don't think it was a pure accident that that happened. I think the universe kind of bends itself to support those who are showing very clearly what they want and being consistent at it.
0: Yeah, thank you. And in fact, writing for HBR did directly lead to my finally getting that book deal because one of the early blog posts that I wrote about how to reinvent your personal brand ultimately turned into my first book, Reinventing You, which HBR published.
1: Amazing. And so we've kind of understood that, okay, we can generate multiple streams of income in the professional space. There's a lot of skills that you have built within your workplace that you can actually start now speaking on stage about and you can start writing about Everyone needs to become kind of a media house that's building its own brand, building its own reputation, and getting themselves out there. Is this really the trend of the market that we're seeing now?
0: In some ways, yes. I think that if we frame it that way, it kind of freaks people out a little bit. (laughs) So I think you are certainly not wrong. But the way that I like to think about it and position it for folks who may feel a little nervous about it is it's not so much that we have to be our own independent media companies, which feels large and amorphous and intimidating for a large percentage of people, but rather just if you do not share your ideas publicly, no one will know what your ideas are. That is pretty basic and most people can appreciate that. But the truth is, if people don't know what your ideas are, you're never going to be recognized for them. It's not like somebody comes out of the sky and says, you know, well, we've never heard anything from you, but really tell us what you think. We have to be the ones putting the light out. We have to be the beacon so that other people who are like-minded can find us. Otherwise, they're not going to ask. They're not going to be sort of digging around and begging us. Oh, please tell us what you think. If you're going to win the lottery, you at least need to buy the lottery ticket. And that is what it's about in one form or another, sharing your ideas publicly.
1: Love it. I was talking with my CMO who was telling me about how the movie industry now, if they have two actors that are equally considered for a part and both have equally good acting skills the one who gets the contract is the one that has the most followers because they know that is the driver that drives more tickets. So oftentimes it's like how many followers they have, for example, on Instagram. And you see people like Will Smith is just like amazingly crazy, putting his content out there and making sure that he's becoming more and more significant in the marketplace so that I guess you could say his value in the marketplace is augmented by his participation in the platform. Where would a young professional that wants to build on these skills look to actively participate? Is it to go and put some content on Certain platforms, a certain style of content. Could you give us some tangible things people could start doing right now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, for me, I think that one of the most important things that we can do, I'm a big fan of and adherent of long form content. And long form can mean a lot of different things, but the way that I am defining it, it's not just a picture on Instagram. It's something that takes more time, more intellectual effort. It could be a blog post, it could be a video that explain something. Ultimately, it is about sharing your ideas rather than sharing your image. Because if the realm that you want to be succeeding in is the business realm, at the end of the day, it's not about flash. Sometimes in our cultural conversation, things get conflated. Hollywood is about, oh, look, it's the sexy bikini. But if we're wanting to succeed professionally in the business world, people want to know that you are serious, that you have. Smart things to say. And frankly, it's just really hard to convey that in a tiny short tweet or an Instagram picture or something like that. They want to know that there is substance there. And it is harder to do that for obvious reasons. But the good news is that once you are making the effort, you will be one of very few people making that effort. And it actually becomes remarkably easy to set yourself apart when the competition is doing something wildly different and playing a different
1: game. I once heard, I believe it was Gary Vaynerchuk who said like you're one blog post away from all the traffic you want in the world it's kind of like that very concentrated effort into putting something amazing out there and not just like a 140 character tweet, but really like publishing that out. Now for people that hear things like, oh my God, I need to start a blog. Now I need to become a web designer. Like, are there easily accessible places that you can bring your content? Should you be hosting it yourself? Like what would be some more tangible steps for people who might just want to write something and have people see it the most effective possible?
0: Back 10 years ago or whatever, you did sort of have to start your own blog. Let's be honest, it was a hassle. Now, of course, you know, if you want to be a full-time blogger and create your own blog, then by all means do that. You can have your website on WordPress and monetize that and things like that. But for most professionals, especially most people who work inside a company, that's not the goal and you don't need to expend effort there. What I would suggest is that writing articles on your LinkedIn profile is actually a great idea because ultimately when people are looking on your LinkedIn profile, they are there specifically because they want to check you out. They want to say, oh, well, you know, who is this Jason? What's his deal? How does he think? They have already raised their hand to say that they want to learn more about you. And so it's a perfect place for you to have a long form piece that expresses your ideas about the trends in your industry or different areas that you're passionate about. Medium, of course, is another good opportunity, but probably LinkedIn is the lowest hanging fruit.
1: Perfect. And I know this is being, we're at the end of 2019. So we're going to mention LinkedIn. I know for me, this is the platform I'm looking at a lot to bring my own voice. And it's just building that and that consistency. Dory, I'd love to know, what do you see as some changes happening maybe in the recent years or that you foresee coming in the coming years when it comes to the nature of being employed in the workplace and having these multiple streams of income? Do you see a trend that you expect to happen that seems exciting to you?
0: One thing that's certainly been building for quite a while is the rise of the freelance economy. Now, many people in terms of the news media take that to mean, oh, well, we're all going to be Uber drivers or something like that. And certainly plenty of people do that. But what I'm specifically talking about is the fact that at a really basic level, we have seen an almost inexorable trend since the early 1990s of companies paring away their responsibilities to workers. And this is not necessarily a bad thing. See, it's probably a, a value neutral thing, but we no longer have pension plans. We have 401ks. Now it's just a heck of a lot easier, obviously, to have 1099 employees as compared to full-time employees. They're not responsible for the health insurance, things like that. These are just facts, And it will, as competition increases, become more and more attractive for large corporations to be working with independent contractors rather than employees. And also, frankly, to save on office square footage. You know, I live in New York City. It is extraordinarily expensive to house employees. It is nice for employees, but frankly, the driver is that it is a cost savings for companies to have remote workers. And so we do, if we want to be successful long term, need to be thinking of ourselves more as independent agents that are responsible, not waiting for a company to give us direction, but we are responsible for thinking about our professional development and our career arc, what we want to get out of certain opportunities, and really being proactive to raise our hands about where we want to go next and what we want to learn. It's a self-directed economy.
1: Wow, I think that's really powerful. And everything we spoke about here, I feel like you're talking not only that people are going to refine their professional skill, whatever it is that is their area of expertise, they can do so more as they pursue activities like speaking, building a side business that nurtures that expertise. And then this whole idea of building your content and putting yourself more out there kind of prevents you from being commoditized, which I feel is what's going to happen to most employees who don't put in this effort.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. What we are fighting back against is commoditization. That is the fundamental issue there. Because if you live in the Western world, there will always be someone who can do a job cheaper than you. And what is incumbent upon us is to create a case for why an employer does not want someone to do a job cheaper than you, why they want you to do it at a premium price. Why are you worth a premium price? And if we can do a convincing job of explaining implicitly or explicitly why that is the case. If we can create a reputation that is so gold-plated that people say, you know what, I don't care what Jason charges. Actually, I need Jason to do it because I know it will be distinctive. I know it will be the best. Then you have written your own ticket. You have the ultimate in career security. And that is what we need to be aspiring toward.
1: That is beautiful. Dory, this was such an amazing conversation. For the people listening, what's a quick way that people can find out more about you and learn more about your ideas?
0: Yeah, thank you so much. Well, on my website, Jason, I actually have more than 500 free articles that I've written for places like Forbes and the Harvard Business Review. And especially for folks who are interested in the entrepreneurial economy, I actually have a free 88-question self-assessment that folks can get at doryclark.com slash entrepreneur.
1: Perfect. Dory, thank you so much for your time. Ladies and gentlemen, I hope you had as much insights as I have listening to this conversation. We had a ton of fun. We really looked at the fact that you need to take responsibility for your own professional growth. Multiple streams of income is a way that you're going to be able to nurture and refine your professional skills by being clear on what is it that you want to do and finding additional ways to do this, which is complimentary business, putting yourself out there, maybe speaking about the topic, writing about the topic, and then you start building your personal brand. And when you do that, you you start preventing yourself from being commoditized and you become top in your field. And this is just a constant effort. Go and look into more content from Dory Clark. And thank you so much again for listening. And thank you for being here, Dory. Thank
0: you so much, Jason. Great speaking with you.
1: Thanks for tuning in to this episode with Dory Clark, some powerful ideas around multiple streams of income that I think you should all look into. And if anything, definitely build out your profile on LinkedIn, get your expertise out there, start writing a bit more, and you'll see this media platform really helps out as well. Now, that being said, if you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate us and leave us some comments on what you particularly liked in this episode, and be sure to share this with friends who need to hear it, as we keep these episodes completely commercial-free, delivering you nothing but pure insights, top content, and a lot of value in the process this has been your host jason campbell thanks for tuning in and until next time take care my name is jason campbell and this is superhumans at work a mind valley podcast